Welcome to Overshare, a podcast and event series where we have honest conversations about the tough shit creatives don't publicly talk about often enough. We cover topics like creative insecurity, career failures, and how not to become a total douchebag when you finally gain some notoriety. Our goal is to get to know the creative industry beyond the highlights of portfolios and Instagram feeds, and to better understand the ups and more importantly, the downs of what it takes to get there. Struggles we can all relate to, even if we haven't reached all-star status quite yet. Overshare was created by Working Not Working, an invite-only community that connects companies with the universe's most respected, most awarded, and hardest-working creatives in advertising, design, production, and tech. Companies like Apple, Airbnb, Droga5, and the New York Times use Working Not Working to discover and hire talent for freelance and full-time gigs. Learn more at workingnotworking.com. This episode was brought to you by our friends at Andco. Now, if you haven't seen Andco yet, it's pretty sweet. It's a combination of a smart app and a real human to help you run your freelance business. You get a personal chief operator to help you with all the things creative brains typically hate managing, like invoices, and time tracking, expenses, and even your projects. It makes admin work actually fun. I know that sounds like bullshit, but it isn't. It actually is a pretty amazing interface uh, and really simple to use. So you should check it out. You should also check it out because it was co-founded by Working Not Working member Life Abraham, and we like supporting our members and we hope you do too. Feel free to try it out and get 20% off for three months of all premium memberships with the code WNW. Uh, just go to and.co uh, and that's .co, not .com, and.co. And I think we're, we're both very fortunate in the sense that we do something that we love, we do something that we enjoy, we do something creative. Hello, welcome to the sixth episode of Overshare. I'm Justin Genak, co-founder of WorkingNotWorking.com and your host. Today's episode is a live recording of my conversation with Chantel Martin and Ivan Cash. I just listened to the recording of the event before coming in here to record this, and I'm very happy I did. Honestly, I've had a rough couple weeks with the holidays and winter and everything going on in the world. Just been a little bummed out, but uh, after being bathed in the wisdom of Chantel and Ivan, I'm feeling pretty damn good again. Uh, the two of them dropped so much knowledge and perspective on me, it was, it was amazing. I've always kind of half-joked that I just do these Overshare events for me, uh, and it's kind of true. I get so much out of them that I'd still do it even if we didn't have an audience. Uh, these are people whose work and talents and lives I admire and, and really want to learn from. And I was especially excited to chat with Chantal and Ivan. As artists, they both create work that is focused on connection, real human connection, and, and that's not easy to do. It's like it's easy to attempt, but it's not really easy to pull off, and there's so many obstacles and distractions keeping us from from connecting with each other, yet these two have seemed like they've mastered it. After speaking to both of them for an hour, I realized they possess an enviable level of self-awareness, gratitude, and the ability to appreciate and live in the present. All qualities I admire and aspire to be better at. Maybe some of that perspective comes from meditation. Ivan has done several long-term silent meditations uh, and even did one for an entire month. Uh, And Chantel had just come off a meditation a few weeks earlier where she visualized and felt her own death. Uh, which I can't even imagine what that would be like. Uh, but she said it really affected and changed her and made her question and reset a lot of things in her life. So this episode, uh, I'm definitely going to keep handy whenever I need a little perspective and a little light in my day. It's not as heavy as... Uh, you know, feeling your own death makes it sound. There's a lot of great stuff in here. Uh, there's so much love and inspiration to be gained from these two. Uh, so I'm going to stop talking now and let you enjoy it. Chantel Martin's work is a meditation of lines, a language of characters, creatures, and messages that invites her viewers to share in her creative process. Part autobiographical, apparently I'm not illiterate today, uh, and part dreamlike whimsy, Martin has created her own world that bridges fine art, performance art, technology, and the everyday experience, conversations, objects, and places. 
Underlying her work is a quest for identity, her own, discovered and refined in the development of her characteristic style and that of the viewer, engaged by Martin's direct questioning and further explored in her winding lines. Her artwork has appeared in the Brooklyn Museum, Museum of Contemporary African, uh, how do you say that? Diaspora. Diaspora. Uh, Beta Show Museum and a number of private galleries. Uh, Ivan Cash is an award-winning artist, director, and creative director who believes in the power of human connection. Uh, his work explores- On a good day. What's that? On a good day. On a good day, yeah, exactly. Uh, his work explores the intersection of art, design, film, and technology, aiming to spread a sense of intimacy and provoke critical thought. Uh, and he has created renowned projects like Snail Mail, My Email, Selfless Portraits, Occupy George, and The Last Photo Project. His work has exhibited internationally in the permanent collection of the V&A Museum in London, has been featured in Time, CNN, New York Times, and Wired. All right, those are impressive bios. Uh, we're gonna start with a really hard question, how are you? Pretty good. Pretty good? Yeah, yeah. pretty good. Ivan? I'm really good. You're really good. You can move that mic a little closer. Really good. Yeah, there we go, good. Yeah. Uh, I just wanna start off with just like a little bit of background, where you're from, and did you grow up in a creative household? Um, we'll start with me, I guess. So I'm from a, a lovely place called Thamesmead, which is in southeast London. Uh, it's one of these projects that they built in the late 1960s um, where they imagined that people from different backgrounds would actually want to live together. Um, but of course, as we know, these projects don't really uh, succeed. So I grew up in, uh, in Thamesmead, which ended up being predominantly white, working class, racist, homophobic. Uh, and I grew up there brown with an Afro. Um, and uh, so it was kind of a, an, an interesting place to grow up um, and being an outsider from the beginning. Um, but what was nice about that is that because I didn't look like anyone else around me, I didn't have that pressure to fit in and, uh, try and, and to be like everyone around me. So I, I was almost given a, a get out of jail card or a passport to, to be myself from, from quite an early age, which I think allowed me to explore um, you know, this kind of natural creativity that I had inside me. Well, it's like it, to, to have the permission to be unique, I think is something that many people don't have. So it's like, it's good that you realize that early. It's not like I realized it, you know, it, that was the fact, you know, yeah. you, as soon as you walk out of your house, you know, it didn't matter that, you know, um, in my family, my, I have a different dad to my brothers and sisters. They're all blonde and blue eyed and, and at home, your family, your brothers and sisters. But as soon as you walk out of the house, everyone treats you differently because they're bringing their emotional baggage or their assumptions or their kind of um, uh, predictions on the world onto you. So it's not like it was a choice. It was like it was what happened when I stepped out of my house. Yeah. How about, how about you, Ivan? Um, I grew up in upstate New York, like 75 miles north of here. Has anyone heard of Marlboro, New York? Uh, oh, we got five. Five, nice. Snooky from the Jersey Shore. Uh, I rode the bus with her growing up. <laughs> and uh, shout out to my dad and sister in the back. Uh, I did grow up in a creative household. My dad's a fine artist, and uh, my sister is a talented artist and illustrator and educator at Pratt. And so creativity was always encouraged, but I rebelled from it and thought it was like, the town we grew up in was really conservative. Um, yeah, it just felt, I wanted nothing to do with art or creativity at all. Um, so you, you went to law school? <laughs> uh, I didn't go to art school. I went okay. to a liberal arts college and that felt okay. more practical. And I, yeah. I certainly was not going to be an artist when I got older. And how'd that go? <laughs> and here we are and here now. We are, yeah. yeah. You're an artist. Um, and how did you get started in your careers? Uh, I know you started in advertising. 
so that's still rebelling a little bit about embracing the creativity. But Yeah, so the first creative project I did that I feel like and kind of brought me to where I am today um, was in a screen printing class in college. I made a t-shirt about, um, for anyone that's a Knicks fan, Isaiah Thomas was the coach for a while, and he was really driving the team into the ground. And so I made a shirt encouraging him being fired, fired and sold it outside of Madison Square Garden uh, on game nights and sold out first game, went back the next day, brought a friend, sold out, brought another friend, sold out, fourth game, immediately the police arrested me, went to Midtown South Precinct, <laughs> and uh, news of the arrest ended up uh, getting a lot of coverage. I was interviewed on ESPN Radio, and a year later that project got me my first professional job in advertising. So. In many ways, getting arrested got me my first professional job. Yeah, that, that works out nice. Uh, how about you? Uh, I don't know if there's um, like a distinctive project, but for, for me, um, as, a, as a child, I was always drawing, I was always writing, and, and at that age, I never knew it was art, you know, because there wasn't art around me. It was just something that I did to make myself feel better. And, and then kind of, um, you know, um, I think what happened is people told me what I couldn't do and they told me that I couldn't do art or I shouldn't apply for art school and I did it just to prove them wrong. Um, and then I ended up at art school and, and, and then you get to this place where you know, you're, now you're surrounded with people from different backgrounds and, 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 and um, different personalities and, and from different countries uh, and you realize like, oh, I'm, I'm, what I do, this writing and, and this drawing that I've been doing since I was a kid is art. And, then, and, then, and art is an expression, and I think that was uh, an acknowledgement that I've always been making projects, and I've always yeah. been making art, and I just didn't really realize that that's what I was doing. So I think going to art school just allowed me to uh, have that perspective of knowing what I was doing was uh, something that could be shared with the world and could be classified as art if you wanted to kind of give it a title. Yeah, was it weird to go from, you know, growing up, it sounds like being an outsider, to then being in an environment where you're accepted? It was really amazing going to art school for the first time. It totally changed my life. You know, uh, you go to art school and you look around you and you're like, wow, like this person has pink hair. This person has like holes in their clothes. This person is openly gay. Oh my God. And no one's getting beaten up. Like what the hell? <laughs> and, and it sounds crazy, but it, it was the case. And I was like, wow, like the, you can really be yourself here and yourself is celebrated. And that was the first place I ever went to where I was like, wow, like you can really express yourself and, and go deep within yourself and people will celebrate it in art school because it's all about being different and it's all about kind of bringing your identity out and, and, and bringing that to your projects. Did that have like a, a huge effect on your output or even just your own voice and style? It totally just allowed me to realize that the world was much more open than, and than I was, um, that I was able to see before. So you're, it was you're kind more of, welcome. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think it took about 10 years of therapy for me to come to that same realization. <laughs> <laughs> but did you feel like an outsider too when you were growing up? Uh, for sure, in my own way, yeah. Uh, I was the only Jewish kid in my school and definitely got a lot of anti-Semitic remarks. Um, we grew up with, which I now appreciate now, we grew up without TV and video games, um, which feels kind of trivial maybe, but at the time when you don't know what South Park is, like you think it's a physical park somewhere in town <laughs> and everyone's talking about it. it uh, I feel like a lot of just cultural references were totally lost and still are lost on me. <laughs> and so that combination, I think, led to my interest in work that connects people comes from, I think, not having that 
readily accessible growing up. Yeah, so like going on the connection, so like you were kind of, I would say rebels against technology, but then also utilizes it at the same time, which is like an interesting contrast. So do you want to explain maybe a little bit like uh, your your last photo project and, and you know how that helps you connect with people? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I have a project where I'll ask people on the street to share the last photo on their phone and the backstory. <laughs> um, and just for shits and giggles, Barco, what's the last photo on your phone? A picture of a HP printout print I found today at a Wired magazine that I did. And, so and why did you take that photo? So I was going through a magazine at the mill, and it just happened to be, I, I did this printout, I forgot about it, and it was there in a Wired magazine today. Right on, cool. And so if I was interviewing <laughs> him on the street, I'd start following up, oh, okay, well, why are you, you know, tell me about your job, tell me about what that feeling inspired when you took that photo, and... Uh, to me, the last photo is, it, it could be the last text, it could be, mm -hmm. the, the point is that it's random and we live in a world that is so curated, right? We're all, whether it's intentional or not, we're curating ourselves on social media, we're sharing uh, the wins and hiding the things that are maybe more ordinary. Yeah. And to me, the ordinary is way more interesting and it reflects our real lives and what, to Chantel's point, you know, being authentic, if we can really uh, discover and allow ourselves to, to be that way, um, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Well, and then for you growing up without TV and without video games, it's, it seems like you probably have a healthy perspective on technology in general. So like now, are, are you someone who, do you, have a, do you have a cell phone or have you completely rebelled against that too? Uh, I have a cell phone, uh -huh. um, but I'm still very, it, it just hit me at like my mid twenties when I finally was like, you know what, I appreciate not growing up with TV versus when I was a kid, I was so mad about it. But I'm still very interested in, uh, you know, the role technology plays in our lives and how to uh, be in control of it. I think that for many of us, myself included, technology can take over. And I really try to have clear checks and balances. I don't let my phone enter my bedroom. That's a, a rule. Um, and I'm still very interested in different people's relationship with technology. I've made a documentary about a UI designer in San Francisco that doesn't own a cell phone. And to me, like that, that's my way, I guess, of like learning more about that without having to reject it myself. Yeah. And how about as far as you, the cool. con just the connection in your work and, and how people respond to it? Yeah, so when we, when we think of connection, you know, the first word that comes to mind is sharing. And you know, if we all take a minute here to think about why, why are we here? You know, why are we here in life? And it's to share. And I'm gonna always come back to this idea of art because that's my medium. And the thing is, is with art, we've got to this stage where we imagine that art is this romantic, this kind of like a moment of craziness that an artist does. And that's because we don't have access primarily to an artist process. We're not really able to see artists create the work. We don't really understand that this moment of, of you know, that we've romanticized of the, the artist creating work comes from practice, 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 and an understanding of an artist process. And most of my work is done in public. You know, 99% of my work is done with an audience, and I allow the audience to see my process. And that's the magic. You know, before I do anything, there's a blank canvas. After, there's the final result. And we can all look at the final product of art and bring our own assumptions to it, our own baggage to it. We can all see it in a different way. 
But the moment of connection, the moment of sharing for me is when you actually create the work. And if you can share that, then we're all connected in that moment and we're all experiencing the same thing happening in the same time. And when I produce a work that's never existed before, then for me, that is essentially sharing and connecting at its core. And it's what I'm here to give to the world in a way that no one else can. And hopefully through that, we become more aware of an artist process and the process doesn't become taboo like it is anymore. And now we understand that art is, um, you know, this, this fit of like passion and, and, and it, it can still be romanticized, but we understand that it's from process and it's from practice and it's from hard work. Or, or, or art even goes into having really good assistance, uh, which I think is uh, with a lot of the art world's become that has become big and commercialized. Where like you're saying, no, this is it, and this is me, and that's really refreshing. I think. Yeah, I think the idea of assistance is a different question, but you know, with assistance, it's still created behind the wall. Yeah. The idea is just exposing the practice and the process of the actual art being created, which is something through time we've not really been exposed to. Yeah. I have a question. Do you feel like sharing is uh, like in real life versus online? Is there a value difference, or do you, if you guys do you feel like it's kind of equally as valuable when we're talking about sharing and connection? That's something. I'm no, it depends. So, so online, you know, there's there's a different sharing experience. But what you can do online is still bring your authentic, vulnerable self to it. It's when you're almost in this private room, but online, you know, you've masked what you're doing and you've put all these filters and layers between it, and then you put that online then you're kind of, you're missing the connection, you're missing that chance to share. But when you're still putting yourself in this very vulnerable, honest situation, and then you put that online, I think people see it and they get it and they yeah. understand that that's what you're doing. Well, where did the bravery come from to not be focused or, you know, for me as a, often a perfectionist, the, the thought of standing here right now and drawing something with everybody watching me would drive, there's no undo button. There's no, like, you know, you have to embrace your mistakes and that's not, I, well, for me, that doesn't come naturally. And I don't think for a lot of people. So like, how the hell do you do that? Okay, who in here can draw, put your hand up? Okay, good question. But look, a lot of people didn't put their hands up. So I asked the question, if you can draw, put your hand up, and probably like 10% of you put your hand up. Yeah. Okay, so how can you, for, for those of you who didn't put your hand up, how can you not do something as an adult that you did as a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, a six-year-old, maybe even a seven, eight, nine-year-old? And at some point along the way, you learned that you can't and someone else can. And, and for you to tell me that, you know, you would be scared making marks on the wall yeah. is ridiculous because we did that as two-year-olds. You know, the, the thing is, is there's a, we can flip this switch and understand things and see them in a different way. What if I make a mistake? Okay, what if everything is a mistake and you just learn to enjoy the process? Then you relax. Then you see things as freedom and possibilities and ideas versus it being a blockage or a barcade. Um, so it's about flipping that switch and knowing that you can be you and you can be you uh, in a way that no one else can. And, um, you know, like that's why I also draw live because it keeps me honest. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm drawing live, I don't have time to think. I don't have time to plan. I don't have time to hesitate. I don't have time to be anyone else. And then I look back at all my work and I see myself. Shit, that's awesome. Uh, that's why I wanted to do this. That's awesome. Um, okay. um, is there... Is there a difference for you with creating uh, 
alone in your studio versus creating with an audience and you know and, and even you having like doing stuff by yourself versus interacting with people uh do you get a different uh, obviously you get a different output because there's different factors but do you feel like the quality of the work differs totally uh <laughs> for the first couple of years professionally i was in an office and then i made the decision to so a little background my background's in advertising and at 25, I got my dream job at Wyden Kennedy in Amsterdam and was really excited and went out there and immediately it wasn't right. And so quit after five months and it was a super hard decision to make. Didn't know what was next, but it was mostly about environment and realizing that I needed my own space. And uh, for me, it's more of an issue of distraction and I really like being around other people, but it's hard for me to focus and be uh, intensely in the creative process when there's all these other people and conversations and things going on. And so having my own studio and space is more about protecting, uh, you know, allowing myself to really focus in. And I think that many of us that work around other people struggle with how to focus and work efficiently, especially when we have things like uh, Gchat and Slack and our phone on and we're constantly getting messages and vibrations, literally. Like, and uh, I think that's, that's a real challenge and something that I'm very, I try to be as intentional as possible about structuring my schedule and allocating time. So it's almost less of a, a creative thing and more of just like a productivity yeah. hack for me. But it, but it also seems like even in your work, like the, the ideas that you have that involve someone else creating the output, Mm -hmm. Like there's something very freeing about that too. Uh, one, because you don't have the pressure of having to actually make it. But I think also it, it creates opportunities and possibilities that you could never even imagine. Like I, I remember when you did the first last photo, just seeing the stories that people come out and someone's like naked playing Guitar Hero High and that was his last picture. And it's just like, you would never, like you wouldn't have gotten that like, you know, surprise and, and uniqueness in that story if you just stayed to yourself. Yeah, well I think a lot of my work is about being an observer and it's hard to be an observer when you're around people all the time engaging. To be an observer, it's much, for me, I have to take a step back. And so it's about deep engaging and mm -hmm. checking out what the hell's going on right now. Okay, there's all these people staring this way and someone's drawing and most people have their legs open, some are crossed and just trying to pick up those little details. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about any of you, but I'm so easily distracted. Yep. So if I'm by myself working, I just end up watching Netflix. Um, <laughs> so it's nice to have eyeballs on me because I'm like, oh, I should, I'm an artist. I should be working and, and that helps me work. So sometimes if I need to get work done, I just invite people to come to my studio and like hang out because mm, then, I, yeah. then I'm like performing. And, accountable. And, and yeah, I'm accountable and I'm making things. Do you feel like there's a, a pressure now because your work is so public to constantly perform? Like when you go somewhere, like are people like, hey, can you draw this? Can you draw me? Can you draw? Like, or, and are you okay with that? Or is that yeah, it, get it depends weird? if I'm in the mood and it's <laughs> yeah. a good fit. You know, if I am, I'm like, sure. And if I'm not, I say no. Yeah. You know? That's like my, my dad's a magician. And like every time you go somewhere, people ask him to do magic. He's like, oh, I'm not doing it right now. <laughs> and I feel like that's like, well, you, you create magic too. And it's I, I think there's a people, I think, just get excited by what you do. And it's like, it, it maybe sometimes, yeah, you're not in the mood to it's do that. It's amazing the amount of uh, events I've had where someone will show up all white and it's all new. And they're like, hi. You know, like, do you have a pen on you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> nice outfit. I don't want to ruin it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what now? It seems like you both, uh, you know, very busy, travel a lot. How do you how do you stay grounded uh, when you're constantly in motion? 
Well, in the last week, I've flown from San Diego to San Francisco to LA, Boston in between there, and in the morning, I fly to London. Uh, and, you know, you're in different hotel beds and trying to sleep on airplanes, and, and it's tough. You know, it's really, really tough. But I just imagine everything comes in waves. You know, so right now I'm traveling a whole bunch and then at some point that wave will come down and perhaps I'm not traveling at all. So I just imagine, okay, if I'm on that traveling wave, I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to get on all these planes, sit in all these cars uh, and, and just do it until the wave kind of comes down again. So you, I, you, I just personally just throw myself into you go it. With it. Yeah. Yeah. How are you, do, you, uh, do you ever say no to stuff? Yeah, I say no to everything that's not a good fit and if I don't have time to do it. And I say no to most things. Okay, yeah. so there is a lot of discerning there. It's not just like yes to everything. No. Yeah. For, for me, it's about getting better about saying no to stuff and not putting pressure on myself to be as socially active or uh, I just, I was telling you guys, I just turned down a trip to Budapest that I was really excited about initially and then realized that with my travel schedule, it was just, it was too much, and for me, it, uh, it's very much about trying to make things sustainable and not burn out. I feel, last year I felt really burnt out from moving around a lot and having so many different things, and you know, we're, we, I think we all wanna make this sustainable and build in a way that feels good holistically. Uh, you know, and I think as I've gotten older, I'm more interested in what does success look like, not just professionally, but in terms of relationships, in terms of spirituality, in terms of the holistic picture, yeah. and how does that all come together? And um, you know, and, and in some cases, it's meeting heroes and seeing how de deflated they are and exhausted, and <laughs> and, yeah. and realizing like I don't want that. That's not yeah. actually like I I want meaningful, deep relationships. I want stillness. Um, what do, do, what, what, like what, how do you define success? What is success to you? I think, that's a const, I think success is a constantly moving bullseye, and that means different things at different points in time based on our context and our life situation. Um, I think for me right now, it's being surrounded by people that I can learn from and inspire me, uh, making art or work that feels fulfilling and meaningful. Um, Health, being healthy, mm -hmm. uh, letting the people that I love know that I love them. That's, That's a it. good reminder. I think a lot, I had a friend of mine uh, earlier this year and he said, he decided that anytime he thinks about someone, he's gonna contact them, just send them a note. And that's something like I started doing, and someone's like, "Oh my God, I haven't heard from you!" And it was actually nine months. She's like, "I'm in labor on the way to the hospital." I'm like, "Well, the last wow. time I saw you, you weren't pregnant." She's like, "I found out that night that I was pregnant after we uh, after we had dinner." <laughs> no, it's okay. It's an old friend who's married. Sorry, that right. came out wrong. It was. <laughs> it's your baby. It's my baby. It was my. Uh, and you just happened to call. My bowl of. <laughs> It's my Italian uh, bowl of penne baby. I don't know how it came. Uh, yeah, it was like an old friend who's married, and she said she found yeah, out. Yeah. Not me. My wife would not. My wife would not be psyched with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that came out wrong. But anyway, but it was like one of those things of like reminding people, like reminding yourself to like, oh, just reach out to people and, and connect with people. And um, God, that was such a detour. It's not my baby. Um, <laughs> we won't tell anyone. Yeah, okay, okay, good. Yeah, no, no one's gonna hear this. Uh, how about you, Chantel? Like, how do you how do you find that balance? And and, and how do you define success with all this yeah. going on? You know, I think we we think a lot about this word success, and I just like to flip that word and and change it to substance. You know, uh, it's not so much. 
for me, it's hard to um, think about success and if I've been successful because my reality is very different to everyone else's. But what I like to think about is what is what I'm doing of substance. And so that's something I ask myself daily. And, and whenever I you know, say yes or no to a project, is this something where I could give something of substance? Is this something that I can give to the world uh, of substance? So mm -hmm. for me, I like to think of the, wor the word substance versus success, because success means you've ticked some boxes, perhaps. It's or, like a goal. Or, it's, yeah, yeah, it's more goal-orientated versus like content and, 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 and substance-orientated. Do you think there's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, we all seem like ambitious people. Do you think there's danger and ambition or to be striving towards or comparing yourself to something else? Yeah, well, I compare you. I don't compare myself to anything. Right. Uh, you know, we make the assumption that ambition is striving for something or comparing yourself to something. And, and Ivan mentioned a little bit about, you know, um, success is being happy and healthy mm -hmm. and telling people that you love them. And I think when we when we think about success, we we throw the question out versus in. You know, are we eating well? Are we drinking well? Are we thinking well? Are we surrounding ourselves with with positive people? Are we um, trying to be more happy, compassionate, happy? You know, like se less um, selfish human beings. Mm -hmm. And for me, there's a lot of success and inspiration tied up there on the inside because if that's what you're focusing on then you're naturally by default going to do what you love. It doesn't work the other way around. You can't say, okay, this is my ambition. This is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to succeed. You can say, I'm going to be a happier, healthier, more compassionate, less angry human being. And by default, by the result, I'm going to do what I love, whatever that may be, but it will show itself when I'm on this path. Shit, that's awesome. Um, I'm just going to like just sit here and just keep listening. Uh, but no, this is, I, I think for, for me, it's like, also, you can and you can focus on all that stuff just right now and just today. And I think with ambition, I get caught up a lot of time. Like, oh, I'll be happy when, and, and it's like I don't totally. have I don't have when. I like I have right now. Yeah, I I definitely struggle with that and comparing myself to others. And I know that it doesn't it does not lead to happiness. But I think it's a really hard uh, thing to totally avoid doing. But I I think there's a danger in ambition and in uh, putting our values somewhere else, as mm -hmm. we're saying, and not uh, you know, being grateful. It's, maybe it feels cheesy to say, but I really believe that if we could all be more grateful for our current situation, yes. we would be happier. And yes. I've, I've gone through phases where I'll wake up every morning and just try to write five gratitudes, super simple, and it definitely affects my well-being for the day. Just it changes, it changes your perspective on yeah. everything. Like I yeah. had a thing, I was having a bad day and I was just like, all right, what am I grateful for? And I'm like, oh, I'm grateful I get to walk past puppies every day coming into here. There's a puppy store like over there, there's one right here. And I'm like, and I'm not even a dog person, but everybody's a puppy person. And I'm like, oh, I'm thankful I get to see puppies every day. And I think uh, I, heard a, I heard someone say a few weeks ago that life isn't happening to us, it's happening for us. Uh, and just that shift of like how much it's a gift and and how uh, how blessed we are to have it and the experiences we have, like totally changed my perspective in the past month. And it's like hmm. and that's really helpful. But I think gratitude is a big thing because you can easily get bogged down in all this stuff. 
And I think we're, we're both very fortunate in the sense that we do something that we love, we do something that we enjoy, we do something creative. And, and I often think about if you're not creative, um, if you're not perhaps uh, craft orientated, how do you really find that thing that you love? Because it's, you know, for us, it's a little bit easier to come by and be like, oh, I'm an artist, like I love drawing because drawing is really accessible. Um, and if what makes you happy is not as accessible as drawing or designing or creating or singing, like how do people find that thing? And, and that's something that I would love to think about as a bigger platform in the future of enabling people to find that thing that brings them joy and brings them happy and, 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 and um, can bring them some peace in life. I, I saw an episode of Oprah. Hmm. Um, sometimes I watch Oprah. Uh, freelancing, you're home, you get to watch some reruns. And she, they, they were calculating people's physical age and then their, their I forgot what they called the other thing, uh, but they realized that people who have passions, like they'll say, all right, you, you, you come across you by all of our calculations as 45 hold a year and they're like 60. And it's like, oh, well, I belong to a book club and I love my grandchildren and I have all of these passions. And then there's other people who didn't have a passion and they're like, how, how, your, your age here is, hey, New York, uh, your age here is like 60, how old are you? And they're like, oh, I'm 40. And you're like, oh, God. And it's like, yeah, because you don't have anything that's keeping you alive, that's giving you that excitement. So to, to focus on helping people find that passion would be amazing. And I think it's like, it's, it's very necessary. Um, do, like a lot of the things you guys are describing and as far as being present and telling people you love them and take care of yourself, it seems like there's a lot of focus on self-care. Like are there things that you do even like among the chaos and being so busy? Like do you meditate? Are there any things you do to like help yourself, you know, take care of yourself or exercise or any of that? Totally, yeah. Um, I try to meditate for five minutes every morning because it, again, that feels really accessible to me. I've tried phases where it's like half an hour or an hour and then it's just easy for that to fall off. Um, but for me, self-care is going out in nature uh, at somewhat of a regular interval and having alone time. I've, the older I've gotten, the more I've come to appreciate just being alone with my own thoughts and not being on. Um, my girlfriend's a life coach, shout out Allie, and <laughs> that doesn't hurt to have someone that's like constantly supporting me mm -hmm. to like, like, you don't have to go out to this event, say no, it's okay, like you can stay home, like no pressure. That's amazing. Um, we should and, all date a life coach, yeah. And then uh, both Chantel and I do Vipassana meditation retreats, which is... Uh, I'll let you speak for it as well, but uh, I've gone on a, a number of long-term silent retreats that are a totally like recharge for me, where I can just uh, process everything. It's like you know we work out our bodies, but when do we work out our brain or have a cleanse to process all of the crazy shit that happens on a day-to-day -day basis? Like in just one day, you can have so many experiences and emotions, and for anyone that's sensitive, that, that's a lot to process, and so for me to, to go off and just reset uh, emotionally, mentally, yeah. is uh, key. How, how long is long term? Um, it's usually a week. I've sat a month in silence a couple of years ago. A month? Yeah. Wow. How did that change you? Uh, I did, I did not meditate for at least three months afterwards. I was so burnt <laughs> out and, and kind of frustrated. Uh, but I think it couldn't help but allow me to 
pursue my passions more and learn more like what do I really want and I'm just gonna do it because there's, it, it just became clear there was no other path but to do what I felt like most convicted and passionate about. Yeah. Um, I think I hope that I'm a better listener from it. You would think, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. I, that all sounds fantastic. Um, I, I wish I had some of that in my life. I, I used to meditate and I haven't done for a long time. Um, you know, when you travel a lot, there, there isn't much of a routine in your life. So you would love to work out and you'd love to meditate and you'd love to do all these things, um, but there just isn't time. And, and for me, I, I need to kind of commit and have that time where I work out continuously. And if I'm traveling a lot, I just exit, like I just don't do it. Um, but what I do do is I live every day like a compass. Okay, this feels like yes, okay, I do this. This feels like no, okay, I do this. I feel like yes, I do this. And, and by a way, in a way, that's kind of like self-caring by just kind of letting your internal compass lead you and where you want to go. Um, and, and just saying that I haven't meditated for, you know, for a long time, but I used to do Vipassana 10-day meditation retreat in, in the hills of Japan when I lived there. Um, but actually for the first time I meditated a, a few weeks ago with um, a, a meditator called Dan Brown and up in Boston. And he took us through this meditation where we, we visualized our own death. And you know, we sat there for an hour and he took us through. And, and we didn't just visualize our death, we felt it. And, and at the end of it, like, for like, I was just in tears for like a whole day because I was like, wow, as much as I'm okay talking about death and as much as I thought I was okay, um, you know, just kind of with the whole concept of it, I've never actually felt it. And, and when you feel your own death and when you really put things in perspective like that, it really affects you and changes you and, and you know, actually makes you think about, well, why am I here? What am I doing? What am I doing off substance? What am I giving to the world? Is this a yes? Is this really a no? It makes you question things and reset things. And, um, and you know, I think one thing that we should do for our health is, is talk more about death and talk more and, and plan for our own deaths and experience it because I think that will really um, put things in perspective and really help guide us in the future. That, yeah. Agreed. And, and how many people here haven't dealt with grief or the loss of someone they love. I mean, it's a, such a universal thing. And yet in our culture, we just don't, we there's no, there's it. no room for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, because death is, is fear. And I think that's like, it's such a, a natural part of life. And for us to be fearful of it, um, is, is detrimental because like that fear can kind of become overwhelming. And it's why so much thing, so much is happening politically now, that fear of death and fear of loss and fear of losing your, your everything. And it's like, if we can go and embrace that and become okay with it, like a couple of years ago, my stepmom for Christmas, uh, she asked for an urn and we were like, Whoa, that's a little dark. You're like, you know, you're barely in your fifties. She's like, yeah, but I want to make sure I have a nice one that I like. Wow. And like, and, and, and started a conversation about it. And it was just like, it was really forward thinking. And it was just like, wow. wow. And, and, and I don't think I spend very much time thinking about my own mortality and until I watched like walking dead two weeks ago, uh, it was pretty gruesome. Uh, but I think there's a, when you, when you allow yourself those moments, it does give you that appreciation. Uh, because if you can walk around thinking you're gonna live forever, then you're just kind of an asshole all the time, or at least I am, yeah. Um, how about, uh, you know, I think a lot of creativity or a lot of creatives thrive on the inspiration that comes from the highs and the lows. Um, like, how do, you guys, how do you guys handle the lows? Hmm. 
I, I struggle sometimes. I mean, when it's, when things are moving, it's really easy to feel good. Like I'm in a good, like what, one thing I've realized is that I'd rather be too busy than too slow. And, um, I think I, I used to be more stubborn with what stuff I, I've learned to be more flexible so that I'm working more often and that makes me feel needed or, uh, valuable or contributing. And, uh, for me, when I'm dipping down, it's because work's really slow and especially when you're traveling and you're have all these things and then it dips, there's, I think there's room to have that existential crisis of like, Oh fuck, what, what next? And, um, I actually feel like in those lows, that's where I have to then get back on the self care wagon. Mm -hmm. And that's when the gratitude list comes out or, you know, I double book, you know, therapy, you know, whatever it is that I need to sort of like build up. So in a way I feel like those dips are helpful. And even, you know, if we're going to talk like, uh, business a little bit, when I've been slow, uh, the desperation has inspired me to like make trips to New York and LA. I live in the Bay, um, for like sales trips and to connect with people and meet with people. And in the last year I've had some incredible connections come out of that, that I absolutely would not have taken had it not been for that low point and feeling like, oh shit, I need to like, you know, get back up. And so you need yeah. that motivation. Yeah. I'm, I'm learning to embrace it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, can you give me, what's the low? Can you give me an example? Oh, just like whether, you know, you're not busy and you're not getting work or you're feeling sad or depressed or, or just like struggling with, you know, like maybe staying inspired and motivated by the things that you're, okay. that you're doing. So, you know, if you don't have much work, then you go do something else. You know, you go do your taxes or your cleaning or, you know, mm -hmm. you go do something else. Uh, if you're not busy, what, it's what if you don't have any work for two months? <laughs> You do something else, you know, yeah. it's just like, um, you know, like I said, everything comes in waves. And if you're not busy, you go and focus on things that, that need your attention other than your work. Mm -hmm. And, and we all need that time to go and do that stuff. And, and, and if the world is bringing you that time, you go and do that. Um, being sad, depressed, whatever, you know, for me, it's like, okay, uh, I grew up in a place where we weren't even meant to go to school because there's no expectations for that. You know, when you grow up in a place where there's no expectations for you, there's no good diet for you, there's no uh, adequate education for you, there's none of that. And then you succeed that, you learn a new language, you travel around the world, you bring pens on you and people pay you to draw on walls. Like, okay, like there, that's, there's no lows, mm -hmm. you know, you're only ever moving forward. You're only ever progressing. Uh, and you can sometimes feel sad about what you're doing, but like in the bigger picture, like you're always moving forward and there's this motion and there's this progress. Uh, and I'm very fortunate enough that that's what I think. Okay. Something awful's happening in my life. I'm just going to keep pushing through it and I'm just going to keep making art. And maybe this will make me more productive now and more focused than it did before. Yeah, that's great. It's, it goes back to perspective and gratitude and, and, and being able to, it's in, in substance, you know, it's all those things. Um, do you guys feel like when you're, you know, in your careers, do you feel like you have something to prove? You know, you were talking about growing up, how people told you you couldn't do things. Do you feel maybe, maybe initially, or do you still feel it? the need to prove something to you know, someone that was else. just me being more defiant. It wasn't about mm -hmm. proving anything. Uh, it was just me about having this internal need to progress, um, in whatever I was doing in life. I don't think it was about proving anything. I think it was just about 
um, putting yourself in a position where you have access to be free and do what you want in life. Um, and, you know, proving, uh, you, you know, the only people you have to prove things to is yourself, you know. Um, and that's, uh, am I, can I prove that I can... Be, actually be an honest, happy human being, you know, because it doesn't even matter how honest you are with yourself, you're probably going to lie to yourself. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that's, it's more, more about truth. Can I be true to myself? Yeah. How about you, Ivan? Hell yeah, I have something to prove. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, I've, I hope that as I've gotten older, I feel like I have, uh, there's less of that pressure, but for sure, um, there's still part of me that thinks about the bullies from high school and wants to be like, "Hey, look at me now, like bitches!" Like, uh, <laughs> there's there's definitely that. And even though like our you know we haven't talked in ten I like years, tough Ivan, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think that that's motivated me a lot is to prove people wrong. And when uh, you know when people really see you as less than, for me that that inspires me to be like, "Hey." I'm, I actually can do this. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important to have checks and balances and I don't want to go through life feeling like I have to prove something because ultimately that's for other people, not for me. So at this point, I'm trying to... I do have gratitude for having a really queer point of view and uh, a really queer ambition that I think came from that uh, struggle when I was younger. Yeah. And right now the the goal is to be more skillful in having my motivation come from intrinsic things that excite me, inspire me, rather than external validation, which, you know, I don't even think any of the people that, you know, bullied me as a kid, they don't even like... <laughs> they don't care. Yeah, they yeah. don't care. They don't care. So. Well, I think that's like, it's a good kickstart, I think, initially. Uh, and like for me, I think for a long time, I was trying to prove that I was smart enough or creative enough. So I wanted to be prolific in creating ideas. And then I realized like a month ago, or not a month ago, a year ago, that I was like, oh, I don't need to do that anymore. I have nothing to prove. And now like my validation comes in, how can I help other people? And, it, and it, it's been a nice shift. But I think for also a long time, I felt the need to prove people right so like to, if people like were like, oh yeah, like believed in me and, and, and supported me in doing artistic endeavors when that wasn't maybe necessarily to them and to most people the right thing to do, but people giving you that encouragement, like you almost want to like prove them right and, and not let them down. And hmm. so, you know, and, and all the external forces are, you know, like you've got to do it for you and I think that's important, but like sometimes it's hard to get, get away of that, you know, out of your own way of that other stuff. This is my therapy session too, guys. Um, uh, let's see, what do we got here? Uh, are you now? Are you motivated now by specific goals, like uh, you know, pushing yourself to evolve your art or your your technique? Or I know you're doing a lot of exploration with technology and stuff. Like, how are you? Um, so, so I lived in Japan in Tokyo for five years, and I lived in uh, you know a culture that's very much craft based. And you see people trying to master something throughout their lifetime, or even perhaps throughout generations. And, and living in Japan, I was like, well, what's one thing that I can master in my lifetime? And I was like, well, what about a line? What if I can make a line look like me? You know, a line is something that we can all do. But what if I master a line, and then you look at my line, and you say, that's a Chantel Martin line. And now you can look at my line, and you say, that's a Chantel Martin line. 
So now what do I do? So for example, earlier this year, I, I 3D designed and printed these building blocks, which allow me to hold multiple markers and pens of different thicknesses or different sizes at the same time. So now I can draw with many lines or many thicknesses of lines or many colors of lines at the same time. And when I do that, I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do with you. And then you <laughs> kind of have to create these spaces where you, you master again or, you, you know, because the thing about mastering is that this, you get there and you realize that there's so much more learning and growing and understanding to be done and you're kind of in this perpetual circle or cycle that's great uh, I have a lot of different projects that are sort of at different states of completion and my goal at this point is to not be doing all of those self-funded which is what I have done up until now and find ways of having other people help produce them that's cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and what haven't you done yet that you, that you really want to do? Uh, I was telling you about the series idea that I want to do. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you can, can you Yeah, I don't know if I not? can say. <laughs> I, I want to do like weird social experiments with people where we examine intimacy and, uh, you know, essentially get real and just document that interaction in an experimental capacity. And, you know, at some point it'll it'll get made regardless of some, someone comes in and supports yeah. it. But I think at a certain point, you can only do so much before there's burnout and you know you need support. And I've done a good job of working independently. I talked about this earlier. And at this point, I'm interested in collaborating. And so a big thing for me recently was getting uh, represented by a company called Missing Pieces, who's out of Brooklyn and LA. And I'm really excited about that opportunity to help have my personal projects find support and then anonymous content is uh helping me find a place for the, the series idea i was sharing with you earlier yeah that's cool yeah what's uh this is just a really big question uh what's your biggest fear <laughs> <laughs> uh i mean the mortality one is a big one i yeah, was just at a wedding it. last weekend uh of a good friend that has brain cancer and uh it it is still fucking me up and the reality that, uh, you know, life is, is so impermanent to me is scary. And even, I have a tattoo that says all is impermanent. And the joke is that, like, at some point my body will die. Like, you know, the tattoo will be no longer. But, uh, you know, I, th I think that's, like, an, an easy one to pick. I think um, being discovered as, like, dis uh, inauthentic or disingenuine, disingenuous would be, is, like, a fear. I think we all want to be, like our true selves, and I, I definitely aspire to that, but I think if someone were to uncover me of, as like a fraud, there's, there's some fear there of wanting to, yeah, not be like called out on something. Yeah. yeah. So similar, the, the death thing, uh, taxes, and, uh, <laughs> and flying. <laughs> you have a fear of flying. I, you know, I get on with it now. I don't love flying. You know, I used to get on the plane and imagine it blowing up every time, and then now, you know, I get on and I just let that play and then I'm like, okay, let's get on with it. Yeah. Wait, can, can we just pause on this? Because I'm really <laughs> interested in getting over my fear of flying and my temporary fix has been like half of a Xanax and that's, <laughs> I don't think that's sustainable. Yeah. Do, you, do you have a way of like... I don't take anything. You just, yeah. you let, you know, you have that in you. It's going to play. It's mm -hmm. going to play out. So you get on, like people are blowing up, the plane is crashing, like <laughs> I'm ripped out of my seat. Yeah. And then you just tell yourself, like, okay, like, yep, get it out. Yep, okay, all right, all right, we're done now. Okay. 
and now and then you can relax. What, what about when like crazy turbulence hits? So uh, I, <laughs> right? can I like, <laughs> so a couple of things like planes do not crash because of turbulence. No. Yeah. And once I was on a plane that had really bad turbulence and I heard this little kid behind me going, it's like a massage. <laughs> and, and then so I imagine that. So yeah. I so as soon as there's bad turbulence, I'm like, OK, planes don't crash because of turbulence. And this is like a massage. Uh -huh. uh, and that's become my thing. It's perspective. Yeah, cool. yeah it's good. I'll, I'll try to take that. Out. <laughs> I think my, uh, someone said to me once, like, I just don't think I'm so special that I'll be on the plane that crashes. And I'm like, but I do. And so that doesn't help at all. Uh, so yeah. Uh, what is. Uh, uh, what's your Achilles heel as a creative? What do you mean by what that? Do you, what, what are you not good at? Like, what? You know, the thing is, is like, what don't you like, then other people do, then right. you collaborate. Uh, and one thing I've noticed is that I just started making music for the first time, uh, and I have no musical playing experience, <laughs> but what is really amazing is, is that I discovered is when you bring your full self to a medium, it sounds like you, or it looks like you, or it feels like you. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm like, wow, like I've never done music before, but it's like drawing with words and sounds. And you listen to my song and you're like, oh yeah, that sounds like Chantel. <laughs> How does it sound like me? It's because I'm bringing my full self to it. And so I think when you bring your full self to what you're doing, you can shift mediums quite easily. Uh, it's when you don't like doing something in, in a medium, that's when you collaborate and, and, and you, you, know, you uh, use the talent or share the talent that other people have around you. I think I heard you or the other day when we were talking, you talked about it as like your fingerprint. Yeah, uh, so, yeah. you know, like I said, you, so we all as creatives or as individuals have a fingerprint, an underlying identity which is within us. Um, and once you've kind of tapped into that, you can bring it to anything and everything and you can bring yourself to it. And, and it looks like you and it feels like you and it sounds like you. Yeah, how, how are you, what's your Achilles heel? Uh, I am learning to be better at giving up control of things. That I feel like that is challenging. I'm a generalist, and so I don't actually feel like I have like one thing that I'm like amazing at. Right. I feel like I'm good at bringing a lot of things together. Um, and so maybe an Achilles heel would be not having like one thing where I'm like an absolute like expert specialist. Yeah. And yeah. So you're not really yeah. You're just like kind of okay at everything. <laughs> I mean, maybe I think I think you're better than okay at most things. Come on now, um, is there anyone who makes you jealous? No, you don't seem like a jealous person. You got your thing going. Who would you be jealous yeah, for? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is like all, all my questions are gonna be like, nope, because uh, it's just like I have all new perspective now after talking to you. This is great. Uh, how are you, Evan? Uh, totally, totally. <laughs> I could say the two people sitting on stage with me right now. Um, I'm, I'm jealous of different people for different reasons, but I got a really good piece of advice uh, from a meditation teacher that when you find yourself feeling jealous about something or envious about someone's situation, um, recognizing that that's also a sign that that's something you're interested in pursuing. That's something that uh, you know, you're curious about, and you know, is there a way of taking the jealousy and channeling that to like, Oh, cool. Now, like, that's information. I didn't actually know that uh, I was interested in public speaking, but I'm really jealous of this person that's doing a ton of public speaking. Maybe right. that's something that I want to pursue. So acknowledging the, 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 the baseline motivation to that, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, do you have any, regret, any regrets? No, I wouldn't think so. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I 
I'm, I'm sure there are ways in which all of us have been like, you know, not as compassionate as we could have been, or we've done something unskillful, but yeah. I, I feel like you got to live and learn. Yeah. So I, I feel good. That's good. Uh, if you had to give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Mine would be two pieces of advice. Okay, good. Uh, it would be um, create your own opportunities. Don't wait for them. And do that by using what you have access to. Hmm. I caught myself, you know, my younger self was like, well, if I had this, then I could do this. Mm -hmm. When I have money, I can do this. When I have a studio, I can do this. When that magical person comes along to make my career, then I can do this. Mm -hmm. So scratch all of that, I would tell my younger self, create your own opportunities and do that by using what you have access to now. Amen. Yeah, that's yeah. really great. Uh, I would tell my younger self to relax a little bit. Hmm. I would... I'm still, sometimes I can be uptight, but uh, I think when I was younger, I was just very intense about, like, just intense. And I think that I'm still learning how to be more relaxed and just, like, enjoy things. Hey, things are good right now. Like, you know, we're all here. Yeah. It's not, it's, it, the weather's, like, not bad. Like, let's, <laughs> let's just enjoy ourselves. That's great. And, and um, I, my last question, uh, how are you feeling right now? I feel pretty good. Same, yeah. same as the first question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. It didn't change. That's good. Started how you mean to finish. That's good. Yeah. How are you, Ivan? A mixture of excitement and anxiety. But <laughs> I, I feel like those two are very similar, and it's kind of like almost the same feeling for me. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah. That's great. Well, thank you, guys. Cool. cool. Thanks for having us. I think we've got time for one or two questions, if anybody has a question. Anybody? We have a mic here if you want to grab it. So we have it recording. Yeah, thanks. You're probably close enough. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> all right. Uh, first of all, thank you for the information. It's been really great. Um, my question is, one, one, one for you. You say you're just trying to find a balance of not having too much visuals in your life, like um, television and all sorts of kind of thing. But you're in a visual medium, so how do you, I mean, why are you trying to cut so much off it off? Yeah, I don't know if I meant as much visuals as more like just noise. And by that, I mean actual noise. Like I try to really, <laughs> I'm really happy that I have a home that isn't around a lot of uh, traffic or pedestrians or construction. Um, and then I like having minimalist aesthetics around me, so just simplicity visually. Um, and then I more meant in terms of technology clearing space so that there aren't a bazillion things blinking, flashing, buzzing around me and yeah, cult cultivating, I guess, peace of mind through lack of engagement with a bazillion things at once. Does okay. that make sense? It is. Cool. Yeah. And just one quick question for Chantel. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah sure. All right. I uh, read an article uh, that you were in, I think it was Fast Company. And I might be messing up the story a little bit, but you said when you were, when you moved to New York and, you know, you're doing your, your thing, you're doing your work and you tried to present something to, uh, to some galleries and they were just like, I guess they had no place for you. How quick were you able to go, you know what, I'm going to create my own opportunity. I'm going to find a place where I could have my voice. Yeah. How quick was that for you? 
Um, yeah, so I moved to New York from Japan and, you know, as an artist, you're like, oh, I should work with a gallery. And then you meet with gallery after gallery after gallery and they say, I love your work. Where have you shown? And you say, nowhere. I just came from the club scene of Japan. <laughs> and they say, well, thank you, but no thank you. And, and very early on, I realized that, like, oh, there's this catch 22 where if you haven't shown, you can't really show because <laughs> it's all about money. And if you haven't shown, it means you haven't sold and then they can't sell you. Um, and as an artist, you're not going to not make art because there isn't a space for you to sell your art. You're just going to keep making it. Um, and it took a really long time. I struggled here in New York for about a year and a half and I slept on couches and I bartered for food. Um, and um, I think it was only when I realized that I was waiting for these things that I started to use what I had access to. And I would call my friends and be like, do you have a space? Do you have a space? Do you have a space? And, I, and eventually someone said yes. And I said, well, can I do a show there? And then I did my own show there. And the thing that I found about New York is that, yes, everyone is an artist, but 90% of artists here are actually only talking about art. They're not actually making it. So if you get out there and you find the space and you make art and you bring people to see it, then people in New York love to say, you know what? I saw something that was really cool. Um, and then you do it again and they bring their friends and they bring their friends and they bring their friends. So it's it, a pyramid scheme. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a basic pyramid scheme. Um, but but it, it took a really long time. It took me about a year, a year and a half to, to, to kind of wake up and realize that I was waiting to kind of get in this system that didn't want me. Uh, and, and it took me that long to realize that I had to create my own model. Thank That's you. That's great. Badass. Uh, yeah. I have a question for both of you. Um, what's one thing you want to do that you haven't done yet? One thing I want to do that I haven't done yet. Or some things. <laughs> is performance art. <laughs> there you go, done. Yeah. Done. That's amazing. Tick, ticked off the list. We'll take that, yeah. Um, I, I would love to, you know, so my... I draw and I've seen my drawings on things, on cards, on walls, on people, on faces, <laughs> uh, on furniture. And I really want those lines to become the form of things. So perhaps my lines are the form of architecture or furniture or something else. So I want to really make that leap um, or that jump from 2D to 3D and, and, and the form actually being my line versus the drawing being placed on these forms. Yeah, that's great. Okay, one more, one last question. Uh, let's get someone in the back. Whoever wants to come to the mic first. <laughs> oh, they're racing. Okay. <laughs> Young man. Hello. Sorry. Um, uh, my question is for you, Shanta. Um, the you talked a lot about identity, and you seem to have figured it out. I'm actually still trying to figure that out. Very curious about the topic. Uh, so I'm just curious. Uh, keep it short. Uh, what is identity to you? And how has it evolved? Because I'm at a point where I'm, I just discovered this concept of identities as opposed to having one yeah. identity. So how, you know, how has your family experiences influenced that? And how does that drive what you pursue, Sarah? Cool. So good question. I could give a really long answer. But um, so if anyone's familiar with my work, you've maybe seen these stickers that I hang out, like hand out that say, are you you or who are you? Uh, and the first sticker I used to hang out, um, hand out said, who are you? And so this is a question about identity. It's asking you literally who you are. Um, but if we think about those first three letters from that question, W-A-Y, now let's think about it in a different way. For me, identity isn't so much about who you are, but it's about how you're finding your way in life. 
And I ask this question a lot about who you are. Um, and, and just think about this for a minute. We're all very traveled, educated, um, smart people in this room. We can probably describe where we're from, what we do, and the roles that we play. But when I ask you the question of who are you without describing where you're from or what you do, how would you answer that? And we don't actually have the vocabulary or the motion to really describe who we are at the core. So by me asking these questions to the audience or to, to, to people who view my work of are you you or who are you, it's actually me asking that question as well. So I'm no closer to the answer, but what I am kind of bringing up is that we need to understand or we need to find the vocabulary that, is, that will enable us to describe who we are at the core. We have the vocabulary that describes what we do. We have the vocabulary that describes the roles that we play. We have the vocabulary that describes where we're from. But what are the words and the emotions that describe who we are at the core? And I think once we find that vocabulary, once we find those words, once we find those sentences, whatever they are, we'll be able to answer these questions about identity. So, so I'm asking your question with a question, you know, and, and I don't know, but, but I think we need to find the vocabulary to answer that. That's great. Well, thank you, everybody. Cool. Thank you thank for coming you. out. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, and I super appreciate everyone here. It's a Friday. You could be anywhere. Yeah, so yeah. you're awesome. Thank you. And you're all here. Thank you. Appreciate it. I really want to thank Chantal and Ivan so much for sharing their time and their wisdom and their sincerity with us. After listening to the two of them talk, uh, I just feel so inspired and so grounded and so appreciative of, uh, of today, and hopefully you got that out of it too. Uh, thanks to everyone who came out that day. Uh, thank you to Robert Ald for recording the audio at the live event, to our editor, Dusty Alberts, to Significant Others and Final Cut Editorial for helping me record this VO today, and to Caleb Grow for our theme song. And of course, a big thanks to our sponsor and friends at Andco. To learn more about this episode and Chantal and Ivan's work, check out our blog on workingnotworking.com. You can also learn more by becoming a Working Not Working member on our homepage. Follow at WNotW on your favorite social media channel. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes so that more people can discover Overshare. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.